Have you ever heard of a doubting Thomas? Maybe you even relate with the doubtful disciple. In today's episode, we're going to look at how doubt can turn from a healthy inquiry to a spiritual roadblock. Let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. (laughs) Yes, and that includes sound effects. We do this by using true life stories of real people. I'm Timothy Gregory, and I've got a question for you. How do you deal with uncertainty and doubt? The Bible says in John 20, 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. So we know that even those closest to Jesus had their doubts. Now, it might seem easy to overcome doubt when you're presented with physical evidence, like the disciple Thomas is here, but how do we address our doubts of the things unseen? How do we answer hard questions about things we're supposed to have faith in? Let's dive into this heavy topic on this week's episode of the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. The Bible talks all about seeking knowledge. Proverbs is chock full of reminders to seek knowledge and gain wisdom. It's good to ask questions to a trusted pastor or a close brother or sister in Christ when you have doubts or a question on a tricky subject. Yet it's very possible for these doubts to lead you astray when you ask, the wrong person, or become stubborn about being right, or maybe have simply been told, it is a tradition we believe this with no further explanation. That's frustrating. The man in this week's episode has dealt with all three of these circumstances, and they created quite a winding and inconsistent path for him. Also, you'll want to stick around because later we are going to announce the winner of our sweepstakes drawing for our wonderful scripture plaque with Hebrews 11.6 on it. But first, let's get to it, folks. The classic true story of a man we're calling Thomas. Hey, Billy, see that there building? Uh Uh-huh. God lives inside there. Nah, God don't live in a building. Uh Uh-huh. Pop told me that's the house of God. He's probably in there right now. Looks dark and empty. Yeah, probably sitting there all alone in the dark. Don't think nobody visits him during the week. You ever see him? Nah, when I'm there, he hides. I think he don't like me. But you believe in God, right? I don't know. He never seen him. Pop believes, so I guess I will too. It seems likely that there is no such person as a true believer. The need to believe in something is very powerful. A person may declare, I don't believe in anything. But even that statement means he does believe in something, the falseness of all things. More to the point, that claim is most likely a cry of, please show me something in which I can believe. Such was the case with the man in our story. You'll learn all about it as we bring you the classic true story of a man who simply calls himself Thomas. Right now on Unshackled. Thomas. Doubting Thomas. It's as good a name as any. 
for a doubter is often one who wants to believe but is afraid to do so. Like almost all children in Chicago during the 1920s, I believed in my world. I believed my house was the best of all houses and my parents were the best of all parents. What they believed, I believed. The newspaper Pop Red was the only reliable paper and the political party favored by my parents was the only one for thinking people. And since we attended a church most every week, of course, ours was the best. The first little crack in my uncomplicated belief system came from a Sunday school teacher. So then the Bible says that even after being out in their boat fishing all night, the disciples still couldn't seem to catch any fish. Maybe they had the wrong bait. No, no, <laughs> Billy, they were, they were using a net. Wasn't that against the law? It was okay back then, Tom. <laughs> now, uh, they were out fishing all night, and the net was empty. No fish. Uh -huh. But in the morning, they noticed a, a man on shore watching them. <gasps> the police? No, no, Tommy, it was Jesus. He, and he called out to them, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. What? They did, and they caught so many fish, they could hardly count them. Wow. No. Jesus made lots of fish? No. No. You see, from where Jesus was standing on shore, he could see a little bit under the water, and he could see all the fish that the disciples couldn't. It's something anybody could do. That was the first crack in my belief system. Then, like many kids in their late teens, I wanted to disbelieve most of the things I was taught. Anything my parents believed, I saw as a myth. In fact, in high school, I wrote a term paper about man and the myth. It left me giddy with my newfound knowledge. Several times I used that knowledge to try and impress my friend Bill. That's just bizarre. You've got some strange ideas, Tom. <laughs> What's strange about them? I'm finally getting the facts instead of a lot of overblown fairy stories. The Bible's not fairy stories. It's real. <laughs> oh, yeah? What about the flood? What about the flood? God told Noah to build the ark, and he did. Then the flood came, and everyone but Noah and his family drowned. And you believe it really happened that way? It's in the Bible. <laughs> Which is a collection of myths. No. And poems and bits of history of the Hebrew people. No, it's the word of God. Ah, then tell me this. How come every part of the world has a flood legend all its own? You can go clear out to the South Sea Islands and find people with a legend about a flood and a man who built a big war canoe to save his family. It's an idea that's occurred to primitive people everywhere. The flood story is just an example of similar folklore found in uneducated societies around the world. If Bill had been just a little more on his toes, he might have said that the commonness of that story actually strengthens its validity. On another occasion, it was the resurrection of Jesus. You've thought about it? Yes. <laughs> You've actually seriously thought about it? The story of Jesus rising from the dead? Well, that's what the Bible says. Oh, come on. The dead living again? Dead is dead. But people saw him alive after he died. More than 500 of them. Well, haven't you ever heard about people going into a deep coma and then suddenly coming out of it? It's as simple as that. And as for people seeing him, hallucinations. Bill was not a great debater. 
or he would have said that somebody who went through what Jesus did before he died and was buried would have appeared to his followers as a wounded, beaten person, unable to walk or talk just a few days later. And 500 people simply cannot have the same hallucination. Of course, I was riding the wave of my newfound freedom from tradition and didn't consider these things either. It wasn't until down the road that I learned there is actually more evidence for Jesus rising from the dead than there is evidence that Julius Caesar even lived. But Bill was really concerned about me. This stemmed from a difference between our new pastor's progressive religious philosophy and that of the more conservative members of the church. Now, don't get me wrong, the pastor's sermons were beautifully prepared lectures on ethics, psychology, and human relations, but he rarely referred to the Bible and never to the question of sin and salvation. This deeply troubled some of the people, one of them being Bill's father. Well, my dad says that God can't honor our church when it doesn't hold up the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm, that's crazy. For the first time, we're hearing about real things. You know, things that count. Instead of wasting time on some of the Bible's <laughs> myths. Tom, you shouldn't talk that way. Well, why not? Here, hold these. Oh, no. Yes, this book is not a collection of myths. Here, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. By thy words thou shalt be condemned. What you said were idle, meaningless words. No, they weren't. I meant every one of them. Anyway, I don't believe in that stuff about the end of the world and judgment and hell. Nothing but myths. But Tom... Stories that ancient religious leaders propagated in order to keep people in line. You're wrong, buddy, but I know you're a thinker, so I got a challenge for you. <sighs> What's that? At our youth meeting this week, my dad's going to show us exactly what the Bible says about things to come. I challenge you to come and listen. So, uh, to answer your question, Tom, yes... Hell exists. According to you. Oh, man, Todd. According to the Bible. Bible, right, got it. I thought God was supposed to be all loving yeah. and full of grace. God is loving and gracious. But the Bible speaks of the reality of hell in the same terms as the reality of heaven. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jesus spent more time warning people about the dangers of hell than he did comforting them with the hope of heaven. Right. Well, I don't believe it. I do believe we go to a better place someday, but I'm not buying the whole oh. hell thing. <laughs> that may be wishful thinking, Tom. It is easier to accept the idea of a pleasant afterlife, but eternal damnation is hard to swallow. Like so many other things the Bible teaches, it's not literal, man. It's stupid to believe in a place of dungeons full of cauldrons and demons with pitchforks and a torture chamber, all where the bad people go. All those things you just listed are inaccurate assumptions about what hell really is. Well, I thought the Bible talks about hell. <laughs> it, it does, but the details you just mentioned don't match what the Bible says. The Bible actually gives very few details about hell other than it was originally intended for demonic spiritual beings, not people. The experience of being in hell is compared to burning and to darkness and associated with intense grief and horror. Kind of like what I'm feeling sitting through this lecture. You're all stupid if you stay and listen to this, this nonsense. Yeah, not one of my finer moments. 
He was trying to have an honest debate, and I just wanted to embarrass him. A few days later, I saw our pastor and mentioned what had happened. I, I guess I got carried away. Indeed, Tom. I heard all about it, and I get the impression the Donaldsons won't be attending our church in the future. I didn't mean to. Ah, it's all right. <sighs> Truth is, I'm glad to see them go, being their fundamentalists. What's a fundamentalist? A fundamentalist is a narrow-minded person, inflexible. Everything is black and white, right or wrong. They think they've got a corner on the truth and bitter, many filled with hate and intolerance. I don't like them. He didn't see the inconsistency in his own behavior. Then again, Neither did I. I entered college life delighting in anything that undermined the traditional, in any field. My rebellion was not simply against conservative religious views. It was against anything, old, established, or respectable. Now, with religion neatly disposed of, other things needed to be attacked or deconstructed. An activist professor helped me. This author has done a remarkable job of research going behind the threadbare traditions and myths that grew up around the Founding Fathers. Now, some of you may find these facts disturbing, even shocking. It's difficult for us to forsake our, our uh, pet fairy tales like Santa Claus and Jesus, but one of the marks of a mature mind is its willingness to face facts. In this book, you'll encounter the real facts that the so-called patriots of the American Revolution were, in fact, so deeply in debt and headed for the debtor's prison that they actually fostered the revolution in order to elude their debts. And this is not surprising. As we learned last week, Marxist philosophy shows that the real driving force of history is economic force, okay? Men do not fight or suffer for a cause, but to control the tools of production and to own the sources of raw materials, exploiting the toiling masses to achieve their goals. Okay? The oppressor over the oppressed. This was a new avenue of thought, and as soon as I began following it, I just happened to meet more and more people, students and faculty, who love to discuss history and current events in terms of Marxist communist thinking. So, how'd you like to join us? Is there a fee to join this discussion group? It's free. In fact, Tom, you can have my copy of the book we're going over now. Hey, thanks. Author is John Reed. Uh, who's that? A friend of Vladimir Lenin. You know, the thing is, Reed was an American communist activist. Uh, a leader of organizing the working masses prior to World War I, and uh, co-founder of the American Communist Party. My new interest in ultra-left-wing politics filled a great empty place in my life. You see, for years I'd been busy throwing out beliefs of every kind. Now I needed a few, because a human being isn't comfortable unless he believes in something. 
So my new friend introduced me to the most powerful pagan religion of this century. It has its own myths, sacred writings, and special cliches, all of which I was blind to, for a while at least. Keep going. All right. Um, religious suffering is, at one and the same time, the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. And here comes the best part. It is the opium of the people. <laughs> Man, isn't that fantastic? Eventually, reading the same phrases again and again, and seeing them used in almost every possible context, I developed a vague suspicion that there were points of similarity between this and some very extreme religious publications I had seen in earlier years, which contained overworked religious expressions and a pious vocabulary. Now I found the same to be true politically. There started a crack in my newfound beliefs. Foundational questions began to spring up later, and the doubts were slow in coming. But when they came, they rushed in. All right, folks, we'll get back to Thomas's story in just a moment. But first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 71st year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org, and then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, Unshackled, we take checks, you mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, back to the classic true story of Thomas. The honeymoon with my new political beliefs ended when Hitler and Stalin signed a pact of non-aggression just before the outbreak of World War II. And nothing my new friends could say overcame my disillusionment. You know what? You're taking a very hasty and immature view of this whole thing. Immature? Be a realist! Don't you mean a cynic? One reason I've gone along with you people is because you've been doing more than anyone about the rise of fascism and the Nazis. You seem to have been concerned about the plight of the Jews in Europe before anyone else, and acted as though you were willing to do something about it. We are. No, none of it's real. I heard solid ideas, but they turn out to be nothing but convenient slogans. Your ideas changed in accord with, with what was best for Soviet foreign policy, but not with the truth. Tom, Lenin pointed out that sometimes the express train of history makes a sharp curve and some people are shaken off. 
Curve, definitely the right word. The communists threw a curve, the Nazis caught it. And the Europeans are suffering. With that, I lost another set of beliefs and was again left with nothing. An unbeliever in need of faith. The train of history stopped again for me when Uncle Sam called me up for World War II. I was almost happy about it because the military was one place where I figured right and wrong ought to be simple and clear cut. I adjusted as well as anyone to army life. Then late one afternoon, I was crossing the post headed to my barracks when I was suddenly stopped in my tracks by the sound of the gun for evening colors. I'd done it many times before. Stood at attention and saluted while the flag was lowered at the end of the day. But this time, I was oddly stirred. When the bugle call ended and I was free to go on my way, I suddenly realized that I had reappropriated one of my long lost beliefs. I had rediscovered patriotism. After the war, I, and hundreds of others, found the world had changed quite a bit while we were away. Really, it was we and not the world who changed. But one very real change in the world was my father. Once alert and vigorous, he was suddenly old, weak, and uncertain. I later realized it was partially due to years of ceaseless worry about his son, me. He lived less than a year after my discharge. At his death, I knew there ought to be a clergyman for the funeral, but the only one I knew was my childhood pastor. He agreed to preach the service as well as the internment at the cemetery. That day was extremely cold in more ways than one. Dearly beloved, when a man has lived a long and full life, it should be no sad thing to come to the end of the road, to lie down to rest, to rise no more. As we lay this, our good friend, to his eternal rest, we do so with the thought that we may say of him, Well done. You have richly earned the blessing of repose in your eternal rest. I'm sorry about your father, Tom. Uh, he was a fine man. Yeah, um, you didn't say anything about eternal life. What's to say? He lived a good life, was a good man, but life comes to a conclusion and we need to say goodbye. Eternal rest is peaceful, quiet. He could not offer one note of hope. I paced the floor for hours that night. Eternal rest, indeed. Where was the hope of eternal life I'd heard of as a child? I needed answers, and I had none. It was this terrible uncertainty that drove me to pick up Pop's old Bible and walk out onto the dark street. Even though I didn't believe the Bible, I suddenly had a burning desire to know what it taught. It was, as some say, pure chance that took me straight to a great shining sign above the sidewalk that said, Jesus saves. 
So far as I know, I'd not heard of Pacific Garden Mission before. But the sight of a big Bible laying open in the window drew me in the door in hopes of finding someone with the answers I longed for. Eternal life? Well, of course it's real. Well, how can you be so sure? Well, first reason, the written word of God, the Bible. It talks very clearly in the book of John of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Huh. Second reason, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. He died, but rose from the grave. Second Corinthians says, He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. Jesus himself said, well, hey, is, is that a Bible you've got there? Uh, yeah, it was my pops. May I? Well, sure. I'll find the verse and, and you can read it directly from his Bible. Uh, in John 14, okay. right here. Yeah, go ahead, read it. Verses 1 through 3. That's Jesus speaking. Okay. Um, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Because he lives, we can also live. Of course, there is a condition. A condition? We must receive Christ by faith, trusting him for our salvation. No one and nothing else. Oh, well, that explains something I found in Pop's Bible after he died. Hmm? What was that? You read it and tell me what you think. It's on one of the first pages. Oh, found it. I have this day, May 12, 1946, received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. May God grant that my son Thomas may come to the same decision. Your father's handwriting? Yeah. Then your father is enjoying eternal life with God right now. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I I'll not trouble you further. You are the Thomas in this note? Uh, I am. Then your business here is not completed. Well, this isn't a church and it's, it's not Sunday. I hadn't figured this is the right time or the right place to settle things with God. Any place is the right place. But not any time is the right time. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time to do this is right now. I, I can receive Christ here? We don't have to do like a, a ceremony in a church? <laughs> We're not saved by a ceremony. We're saved by faith in a living person, Jesus, who paid the price of salvation with his blood and who offers us the gift of eternal life. We just need to repent of our sins and receive it by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. To a man like me? There's no other kind of man or woman. We are all sinners. But the Bible also says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Then show me. I'm ready. 
I want to, to believe in something that won't let me down next week or next year. I want to believe for all eternity. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11b, Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God has given us a desire in our hearts to seek answers and to know Him better. And yet, God doesn't tell us everything. Sometimes it can be hard to live with unanswered questions and little shadows of doubt, but God doesn't want us to tuck these feelings away and try to forget them. He wants us to seek Him on a foundation of faith. We can wade into a world of a million different thoughts and questions with a safety rope of Scripture, faith, and good community tied around our waists. God wants us to discover Him daily through His Word, through our communities, through questions, and yes, even through doubt. And by these means, we can be motivated to learn more about the God we serve and the world He's put us in. Now, if you've been listening to our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, you know we've been answering questions from listeners, and this is one of our favorite things to do. We love giving you a sneak peek into what we do here and giving you um, well, a tour of sorts of our workspace. So if you've got a question, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to answer it as soon as possible right here on one of our audio drama episodes. It can be something you're curious about or you know, just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We would love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast. And don't forget, our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled In Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. Okay, sound the trumpets. Not literally. That was just, I was making a dated... Rep anyway, it's officially time to announce the winner of our prize for our sweepstakes contest. So to remind you, our prize is a beautiful wooden scripture plaque, and I believe the scripture on this particular plaque is Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right, folks, here we go. The winner of the sweepstakes drawing for this beautiful scripture plaque is... Ron Richmond. All right, congratulations, Ron. We're so glad that you will be receiving this gorgeous daily reminder to diligently seek the Lord. A big thank you to everyone else who entered, and uh, be sure to stay tuned for our next sweepstakes for another chance to win. And next time... Hello? Rosa, I need help. What's going on? Where do I start? Katie Depew's depression turned to more and more drastic measures. What happened? You don't remember? No. Well, reports are that you took a bottle of pills and tried to hang yourself. Your friends found you and brought you in. And toxic relationships. 
Katie, here, have some. I'm not feeling it. Come on, don't be such a prude. I need some air. I'm gonna walk home. Finally. When she couldn't outrun her decisions, she found herself feeling even more alone. What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Help me. I need help. Don't miss part one of her compelling true story on the next Unshackled. This is program number 3,666. Heard in the classic true story of Thomas were Steve Bayorgian, John Babo, Tom Geich, Mara Kate Burns, and Demetrius Troy. Original music and audio engineer, Don Badorf. Sound effects, Demetrius Troy. Recording engineer, David Pierczynski. Script, Jack O'Dell and Timothy R. Wise. That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ. <laughs>